Are you ready? I was 23 years old. That's it. Barely could grow facial hair at this point in time. And after nine months of waiting on the 20th of July, 2007, I hear Amanda from the bathroom in the middle of the night. Uh, Dan, better come here. You ready? I had shot up in the middle of the night in bed knowing that the C-section date for our firstborn was right around the corner, but not yet. We should still have some time, but that, of course, isn't the case when water breaks. Are you ready? That question actually still makes me a little queasy when I hear from Amanda, because the answer was no, I wasn't ready, but Liam came. You probably see his picture up here. Are you ready? I was now 25, still couldn't grow facial hair. It's been a problem my entire adult life. And after nine months of waiting, on the 24th of March, I hear Amanda next to me in bed. Dan, you ready? This kid's coming. We got on the phone to call a mother to come and take Liam. Was I ready? Nope, I was not ready, especially for Eli's delivery. It was gruesome. I saw the heart rate drop. Knew that the umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck. Saw those forceps come out. I wasn't ready for that. But Elijah Daniel came. Are you ready? That was the words that came out of her mouth again with another laugh. I was actually slated to officiate the wedding of one of my staff members at that point in time, and I couldn't. Why? Well, because her water broke again a week early, and Lucy was now on her way. Was I ready? Absolutely not. We had just brought in two foster children into our family, Isaiah and Marquisha, who are now adopted children. We were, in essence, going from two children to five children in a time span of three months. No human being is ready for that. Was I ready? No. But sometimes forward motion just happens. And we are exposed as those ready and attentive to the moment at hand, or we're exposed as those that are completely blindsided and hit by the unexpected and seen as those unprepared. Now, Luke 21, this is one of the most complex pieces of scripture in all of the gospel accounts. Theologians actually have argued about its meaning for generations. But the one agreed upon thing is the actual theme, the question that the text is asking, the question that Jesus was asking his people then that Jesus continues to ask his people now. Are you ready? And my question is, what are you talking talking about? Jesus, am I I ready for what? And, And even if I start to know what I'm supposed to be ready for, then practically how am I supposed to be ready for it? Well, like... Macho said, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means the word coming, which is why hundreds of thousands of churches from Sunnyside to Senegal, from Roosevelt Island to Romania, will be teaching on this specific text today. This is a global affair because we believe that if you prepare yourselves well, That the Christmas season is not just simply about sentiment and joy and some family time and vacation, but it can actually be a profound transformative season in our inner reality, in our lives. Now, interestingly enough, most of us spend our days getting ready for something. That's what we do as humans. We get ready for work. We get ready for our new work projects, the finalization of those projects. 
We get ready for the next season. We work on our health and, and get ready for a healthier season. We get ready for our next relationships. We work on our profiles for the next dates. We get ready for a lot of things a lot of times in our lives. We're not foreigners to getting ready. This isn't some big ask. Readiness is not some huge ask that Jesus is making. Humans do this. But as Jesus begins to talk about readiness, he uses what we're going to call apocalyptic language. And he uses apocalyptic language, like um, I am legend Will Smith apocalyptic times language. Make sense? Like, like, like uh, the walking dead apocalyptic type language. He uses this language because of the, the deadly seriousness that he wants to breathe into his students then and now. And the two questions that come out of this apocalyptic language are one, how, what do I need to be ready for? What do I need to be ready for? Why, the, why the, the, the dead seriousness, Jesus? Why the urgency? Why apocalyptic language? What is so urgent? But secondly, how? How can I be ready practically? In the midst of my day-to-day where I'm working, trying to take care of kids, trying to change diapers, trying to manage finances, how do I do this practically? So first, why do I need to be ready? Now, if you're reading the text like I do, I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, I read this text, and I remember reading it for the first time. I'm like, whoa, you're crazy. Moon, stars, roaring seas. Like, do I need a bomb shelter? Do I need a boat? Like, do I need both? Jesus, what what are you talking about? What do we got going on here? And here's what we know that Jesus is doing. Jesus is drawing upon a cultural narrative to make a prophetic point. He is stirring the memories of Jews by invoking a language that would point them backwards to something that was talked about, but also forward to something that has not yet come. He starts and he says, there's going to be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. This is language that would have actually been known by his audience from the prophetic book of Daniel. They would have known this. Grandmothers and grandfathers would have taught the children this text, specifically Daniel 12. Later on, it's reiterated in a prophetic book called Joel. This is language that the nation would have known. And so Jesus is conjuring up scripture from before where Daniel talks about a redeemer that would come to make things right, that would take the sick and heal them, that would take the blind and allow them to see, that would take all of the systemic issues of the world and make things right so all that has unraveled becomes whole again. But it's also the language that Peter would use in Acts 2. As Jesus is killed, crucified, dies, is resurrected from the dead and ascends to heaven, Peter then steps forward during the day of Passover where people from all different countries, cultures, and contexts are together to celebrate and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and Peter steps up to decipher all that is happening. He uses this language to explain Jesus and the power of Jesus' Spirit. Jesus is stirring up memories. He's drawing upon cultural narrative to point back to what has been talked about, but also to point forward to what has not yet occurred. Then he goes on and says, Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Again, there's imagery that would conjure up the story of Exodus. 
and the crossing of the Red Sea that speaks a better word to these people, that they're not meant to be slaves under the, 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 the Egyptian rule or the Roman rule at that point in time. They're made to be free people. But also points to a day where the nations, he uses this language intentionally, the nations will gather together in Jerusalem, perplexed by a wave of power that comes upon them as the Spirit of God is poured out. He stirs up memories of the Jews by invoking a language that would point backward to what has been talked about in the past, but also forward to what has not yet come. He's invoking a prophetic language. He's asking the question, have you been getting ready for what has been talked about before, and what, will you be ready for what has not yet come? And he finishes this apocalyptic and prophetic monologue, right? All these moon and stars and crashing waves, all this big... I am legend apocalyptic language. He, he, he launches into this and he ends it. The big exclamation point, the summary of it all, with figs. It's a weird left turn. Jesus does this all the time, though. Weird left turns. This is how he disorients and deconstructs his listeners before he rebuilds a new truth and a new way of life. And so he takes this left turn and he says, look at your fig tree. <laughs> They're like, What? When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. In the last few chapters of the Gospel of Luke, what you start to find and hear again and again is that Jesus is tremendously humble, but not at all modest. The thing that's so unique about Jesus is that with regard to other people, he's incredibly humble and incredibly gentle and compassionate and serving and asks questions and explores with compassionate curiosity. But when it comes to dealing with himself, there is not a shred of modesty. So in essence, what has just happened is Jesus has looked at a group of people. My hands are so cold, I can't even turn the page right now, Bobby. He says, our people have prophesied about the coming Savior. He says, this stuff is happening. It's unfolding right now. The leaves are starting to bloom because the king is here and the kingdom is coming into fruition. Over the past three years of my ministry, you have started to see the leaves sprout. The dead have come been raised. The blind have seen. The lame have walked. The captives are set free. Summer is here, y'all. Are you ready for me? This is what he's saying. Are you ready for me? I'm here. Are you ready for my kingdom? It's starting to break through. But it's not just I'm here now language. N.T. Wright, theologian, says this is the now and not yet of Jesus. For while God has come to reveal God's nature in Christ, now, at this point in the scripture, The renewal of all things and the judgment of all that opposes the kingdom of Jesus is not yet in full. Not yet. Which is why Jesus' prophetic and apocalyptic language doesn't just reveal things that were talked about 100 years in the past, but things that will come to fruition in the future. Mainly the power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed on God's people. And the return of Christ where all things are renewed. See, the Christian worldview is altogether different from the rest. Because Jesus doesn't simply say, I'm I'm, I'm a prophet that's come to show you the way to God. 
That's what Moses does for, for the Jewish people. Right? It's a prophet to point you to God. That's what, uh, that's what uh, Muhammad does for, for those that practice Islam, Muslims. Jesus is all entirely different. He says, I am the creator of the cosmos. I am, I am God in the flesh, flesh, which is why so many people are left asking the question, what do we do with him right now? Do we crown him or do we kill him? He doesn't leave a lot of room for us to just like him. Not by his claims, not by this claim. He steps into creation and he says the leaves are starting to bloom. And the king will come back with a renewal of all things and the king will do business with any system, any structure, any individual and any part of me that is opposing the kingdom of redemption and restoration. Now do I know what the consequences are? No. If I'm honest, if I'm honest with all my study of the scripture, I don't know what's going to happen to all of the empires that oppose Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen to the parts of me that oppose Jesus because I'm a mixed bag just like the rest of you, right? And I can't tell with certainty what's going to happen. But I do believe that the king of cosmos is not going to be good with other empires, whether on a macro scale or in me, that is opposing and diminishing the chance of others experiencing his good and gracious reign. And that's important to note, his good and gracious reign, because Jesus shows us in the Gospels that God's reign and God's kingdom is altogether different than any politician or political leader or president or dictator or king or monarchy. Whatever it is, he's different. He does not reserve power for himself. This God comes in the form of Jesus and gives power away. He does not use people the way that other empires do to build up their empire. If anything, he is used by the people that he's created and still shows the depth of love for them. He does not lord it over them. He serves them again and again and again. And so just a few questions. When it comes to the big question, are are we ready for him, for the king and the kingdom? A few questions that help us process through this. Questions of readiness. How am I spending my time? Right, how am I spending my time? I have to ask this on a pretty consistent basis. How am I spending my time? Am I spending it in a way where I am preparing myself for this moment? Or am I just docking insane amounts on, of hours on Netflix? Which the great British Bake Off right now is really good, by the way. But like, am I, like how am I spending my time? Am I, am I spending my time cultivating silence and solitude in my life? Am I spending my time simply devoted to work and the next step up the corporate ladder? Am I, or am I spending time figuring out what it looks like to actually be ready to get to know him, to love people well and help them get to know him? How am I spending my resources? It's a basic questions. And not just financial and finances are important. Am I, am I spending my finances a way that's getting me ready to experience the fullness of this king in the kingdom? Or am I using my finances simply to, to secure or build up my own empire? 
What about my emotional resources? Like, am I, am I reserving all of my emotional capacity to me so where I'm so exhausted by the time that I get home from work that I don't have time to actually see how my children are doing and being present with them? Do I actually open myself up vulnerably to other people in the neighborhood who want to process through different problems and crisis? Or am I so exhausted that I reserve that emotional capacity, that emotional resource for myself? Even the physical, right? Do, do I use my table the way that the Laras just use their table on, on Sunday nights and for Thanksgiving to, to, to welcome people that might not be doing life with anybody yet, who aren't meant to walk through life alone? Or is it my private space? My little empire where I can get away from everything else? It's important questions to ask. Do I get ready for the king the way that I prepare for a, a simple outing or a simple date? Do I, do I prepare for a date like I'm going to see the king? Do I prepare for my, my next meeting like I'm going to see the king? I mean, these are all different questions that help us understand whether or not we've prioritized things the way that the scripture asks us to prioritize them. Do I, do I get ready for the king the way that I prepare for a job interview? Like right when I need something, right when I want something bad, that's when I dump all my time and resources into it. Why do I get ready? I get, I get ready because Jesus in this moment says, I am the... Another, an author said it this way, I'm the once and future king. I'm the once and future king. Now, how do I actually get ready? Let me turn a corner and spend the rest of our time talking practical here. Be careful, Jesus says, of your hearts. They'll be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it'll come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I know this is apocalyptic language. Now, this is apocalyptic language. And so I also know there's a, there's a tribe of people out there that love to project. I love to kind of go, you know what? We're, we're seeing it now. We are in the end times, nation against nation, tsunamis, natural disasters, false prophets, and half of the country points to Trump and the other half points to Barack Obama like, they're false prophets, they're here, right? We're in end times and Jesus is going to be back soon, so you better be ready and maybe, but can I just, a few things. One, we just have to be honest and go, we like that certainty, and yet we were not made for that certainty, Book of Genesis shows we, we are meant to flourish when we are not in the know, when we have to depend on God. And so there's a part of us, especially those that are wired a certain way, that like to go, I'm in, they're out, and so you all better get ready. It makes us feel better. But we also have to note that Jesus never launches us into life fueled by fear. He always gives us a vision for living now that's rooted in love, not fear. Right? And, and when that, that vision for life is rooted in love, actually there's not room for fear. He says this. There's, a, there's an inverse relationship that is often talked about throughout the Gospels. Fear does not exist where love is, and love will not exist where fear reigns. And so anytime we start motivating people by fear for what might come, we got to start asking the question, do we actually know what God is like in Jesus 
Jesus does not motivate through fear, but love. Secondly, I, I think about this apocalyptic language, and I'm like, maybe it is end times. Maybe Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But I think back and wonder if the Jews sensed they were in the same type of end times in 1941 in the Holocaust. Or if people felt like they were in the end times in 1918 when the Spanish flu hit. Or how the Japanese felt about the apocalypse in 45 when the nation known as the Christian nation, a city on a hill, dropped the most deadly weapon of time. Or how African Americans have felt as they've been ripped away from families and sold into slavery. Or even today as they look at statistics in the prison pipeline. I think one of the things that's easy to do is actually look at the apocalyptic times that are rooted around our American story. And one of the things that we have to do is decentralize the American experience and ask how many other people groups have been in apocalyptic times throughout the history of the world. Jesus ends this warning, and we want to jump to the end and just go, well, he must be near. We better, we better get re- You better get ready. But part of me just wonders if these are his action steps for his people who are caught in the now and not yet who are dealing with apocalyptic seasons all the time. And so how do we ensure? One, we're careful. He says, be careful. The connection here between parties and drunkenness and anxieties is is easy, (laughs) right? He begins and he says, he says, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down by carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. That connection to drunkenness and anxiety is a real thing. Apparently, humans haven't changed that much. Life is hard. Apocalyptic times like COVID is hard. It's harder. And if we don't know how to find satisfaction and escapism from the anxieties of life in a healthy way, we will attempt to detach from the world in ways that are not okay. That hurt ourselves and that hurt other people. And Jesus often spoke of finding joy and peace, not by disengaging our brain from reality through a fifth of Jack Daniels, but by, which is trash. If you're going to drink some bourbon, drink some good bourbon. But actually by engaging it well. By refocusing on a larger narrative of your life. And here's what I mean by that. It is so easy to dwell on the micro purposes of our lives, our vocation, our families, our finances, which all are important. They're just not sufficient. And when these become the primary focus, our work, when that becomes the primary focus of our life, that micro purpose, the anxiety comes and we are often swayed to unhealthy detachment. Drunkenness is often one of them. But when we're able to focus on a macro purpose, which is just experiencing the love of this God and helping others do the same, what ends up happening is regardless if COVID comes or we lose our jobs or finances aren't looking good or test results have come back and it's not looking good, we still have a macro purpose that fixes us into God's reality now. Steadfast. It doesn't change. It minimizes a lot of that anxiety. So one, be careful. Be careful that we're not dwelling too much on the micro-purposes, forgetting about the macro-purpose. Two, be watchful. One of the most important questions that we can ask as people trying to follow Jesus, where am I seeing God at work today? 
Not do I believe. Not do they believe. Where am I seeing God at work? Ignatius theology is one of the most important theologies we can have. St. Ignatius is one of the fathers of the church. He talked about a thing called consolation and desolation. He also kind of invited the church as a whole into something he called the prayer of examine, where at the end of the day, you visualize the day that you've just walked through, and you pinpoint the moments of consolation, the times where you saw God at work. And you say, yep, when I saw my five-year-old run into the room and give me a big old hug, I sensed joy. That is the joy of the Father. I saw you at work there. That is your kid. You love him. I'm, I'm a dad just like you. And you kind of acknowledge that consolation. And then you continue to walk through your day and you go, oh, but that, that other time, I didn't feel your presence there. That's desolation. And you're honest with that, with God. And then you remind yourself, just because it doesn't feel like God is present doesn't mean that God is not present. So we're watchful. Thirdly, we're prayerful. We do not pray to get stuff within the Christian worldview. We pray to get God. Right? We don't pray to get stuff from God. We pray to get God. This is, this is all about relationship. And so there's, there's time docked in talking to God and screaming at God and crying to God and laughing with God and listening for God. That is prayer. That is ongoing prayer throughout the day to get to know God. And Jesus says when we do these things, we're able to stand through not just the apocalyptic season if we're still living on earth as Jesus returns, but you can stand through all of the apocalyptic seasons that you will have while living on earth. And this is what it means to endure. Now, Last, this is important to ask. We'll just kind of finish here. Amacho, you can come up and get ready for communion. But why did all of this come in the first place? Why is Jesus respond? What's Jesus responding to as he gives us this apocalyptic kind of uh, action step here? Why is Jesus going on a rant about being ready? Well, some of his disciples, it says, we're remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And they respond, teacher, when will we see these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? So here's, here's, here's how we started this piece of scripture. His students look up at a place that has become the center point for spiritual life. If they're good enough, if they're cut from the right cloth, if there are no blemishes physically, no glaring sin morally, they can get into the inner courts of that temple where the holy of holies kind of hang out and experience God. This is the place, the building that declares the law. The law that says if you do these things right, you're going to get God. If you don't do these things right, good luck. Their relationship with the temple that they're staring at has dictated their acceptance by God. And this is actually the moment where Jesus is shifting the paradigm, letting them know this isn't where God dwells anymore. This is where God dwells. God is beside you now. I am Jesus. I am here. And Jesus is the I am who is here. The temple is not there. It's here. And I will be torn down. This is a prophetic message. I will be torn down and die a death of asphyxiation. And I will be rebuilt by the power of the Holy Spirit over a three-day process. 
and you still think that your relationship with this temple and its law dictates God's love and acceptance of you, but it is this temple right here that has been sent to show you the depth of God's love and acceptance of you. And so deal with me. Don't deal with that. Deal with me. Don't deal with the church. Deal with me. Don't deal with those weird pastors and priests. Deal with me. Be ready for me. Prepare yourself for me, and you will be able to stand against any type of apocalyptic experience, whether later as I dismantle all opposing empires and structures and systems, or now as we go through COVID and joblessness and sickness. He says, you've been driven by fear. I am here to show you how you can be driven by love and stand firm amongst the hardest of times. And so God, we ask for you. And in the now and the not yet, we pray for your love to move us and compel us in a new way. Keep us watchful and prayerful. Keep us careful. Let all that happen out of a deep love that we've experienced for you. We love you, Lord. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen and amen.